Hello, and welcome to episode 102 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week, I will be covering the true crime. Mom is covering the paranormal and the beverage. And it's a little different this week. My true crime is going to be based in New York City, but it has ties to Germany. I know that's kind of like, what? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. What? (laughs) All I know is that I could do Germany. So that's what I did. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want to stick mom with another paranormal from New York. So yeah. Would have been like number three or something. There's some ties to Germany, so why don't you just do that? And that I did, which I also got a drink from Germany. And this is actually a drink that I grew up with. Yes, I drank it as a child, but one does that. Um, (laughs) And it's still a little chilly out in the evening, and that's when we're recording is the evening. So I decided that while we could... We're going to drink some Glühwein. Oh! For those of you that don't know what Glühwein is, it's a mulled German wine. It's actually translated as glow wine because it makes you glow from the inside out. It's a warm wine. Oh, boy. (laughs) Makes me think of a glow worm for some reason. I don't know. (laughs) A bunch of glowing people walking around. This particular (laughs) one is at Nuremberg Christkindl Glühwein. And they serve these Glühweins like the little glass of Glühwein at Christkindl Marks during Christmas time. And it's just a wonderful way to warm up. And uh, I just, I absolutely love it. Now, I took the, I took the easy route and I just poured a glass full of it and heated it up. In the microwave? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to take some time, then it would consist of a red wine, sugar, and cinnamon, um, all kinds of different spices. And usually if you put them in a spice bag and then seep it in the wine, don't bring the wine to a boil, but just simmer it. And then you'll have your own Glühwein. But the bottle was really easy at this time. And it smells so good. Oh, it really does. I it's That's Christmas time to me, though. <laughs> we did always have Glühwein, yes. So okay. that is what I'm going to be sipping on. While I listen to your New York story. Okay. Well, okay. I don't know what I was going to say, but okay. 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 Are you ready? I'm ready. This story is completely true, except for the parts that aren't. (laughs) This is the quote that is shown at every opening scene of the new Netflix hit show, Inventing Anna. The Anna Delvey story. Oh. Have you seen the show, Mom, or seen? I saw. Ads for I it? saw. I saw like a preview of it, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, I want to watch this." I saw. I saw. I saw. <laughs> I was like, "What was I trying to say?" <laughs> Get it out. <laughs> this glue vine is making me really warm right now. <laughs> She's glowing, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm going to have fun editing that. I saw. saw, I'm crying. Okay. It's been the number one on Netflix for a while now. 
It has nine episodes. It was created by Shonda Rhimes, the creator of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. I was intrigued. I watched it. And like many others that watched it, I went searching afterwards to find what were the parts of the story that were true. The show, starring Julia Garner, tells a story of a New York writer played by Anna Chlumsky, who she's the little girl from My Girl. Oh, really? She's not a little girl anymore. No, she's not. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So this Newark writer is discovering a story of a young New York socialite frauding banks and hotels. And the thing is, is that this young girl claims to be a German heiress. Some things are paid for, others aren't. It's a mess. So in Inventing Anna, this reporter defies her editors, pursues the story of this young woman being charged with grand larceny, all under a time crunch of about to have a baby, might I add. Oh, jeez. So like I said, each of the nine episodes opens with, this story is completely true, except for the parts that aren't. So what parts are true? Scary enough, a lot of the show is true. Crazy. Actually, one of the main characters in the show, Neff, is based on one of Anna's best friends in real life, Nefertari Davis, who was on set and helped with the series. Cool. The show is based on an actual article published in the New York magazine, The Cut, The article was titled, Maybe She Had So Much Money She Just Lost Track of It, by Jessica Pressler. And actually, Jessica Pressler had previously been fictionized, fictionalized, fictionized, fictionalized on screen. Julia Stiles played another version of her in the 2019 film Hustlers, which was based on another of Pressler's articles. Interesting. All right. I put a link to the actual article in the description of this episode, as well as on our website. It's going to be listed in our sources. It's definitely worth the read if you've seen the show or not. It's it's a fantastic article. It's super interesting. So I want to share Anna's story with all of you because it's really fascinating. And even if you haven't seen the show, you're probably going to want to go watch it now. But (laughs) even if you haven't seen the show, it's such a great story. So and and guess what? It's a little lighter than our normal true crime stuff because there's there's no deaths. Nobody dies. All right. So we're taking it a little lighter this week for the true crime. In 2013, Anna Delvey was a budding socialite in New York City. You know, 2013 was really when social media was starting to take off. So I guess you can say she was an original influencer. She was from Germany and was working in New York with the French fashion magazine Purple. So she was originally working in Paris. She came to New York City for New York Fashion Week and stayed. And stayed. How old was she? I'm sorry. You might have said that. She was 22 years old. Okay. Wow. Okay. So she came to New York for the Fashion Week, loved New York, and actually got transferred to stay at Purple Magazine based in New York City. She took that gig, but she didn't have it for very long. Before long, socializing and networking became Anna's full-time job. Uh-oh. From intern to socialite, her social media showed her jet-setting to Berlin, LA, Miami, Paris Fashion Week. She became 
sort of a fixture in all the high society restaurants, events, parties. Honestly, I think she was like the queen of networking and it helped because she was a German heiress set to receive over $67 million on her 26th birthday. Wow. Over time, she really clung to who Jessica Pressler in the original article named the futurist. There were a lot of theories as to who this young man was in the article, but those online sleuths narrowed it down to Hunter Lee Soick, who, just like in the show, in real life, was also creating an app based around dreams and was on the TED Talk circuit. So the two start dating. It's only assumed they were dating. You know, in the show, of course, they have this big romantic relationship. But (laughs) in real life, it's just assumed that they were dating because they were always seen together. Now, Hunter wasn't necessarily poor, but he wasn't like super wealthy either. He was just a budding entrepreneur. But he seemed to fit the bill wherever the two traveled or whatever the two did. Mm -hmm. And he was really really good with networking and did a really good job with his own PR. And she did learn a lot from him in that aspect. Hunter introduced Anna to a lot of high society New Yorkers and Anna had superpower. Superpower. (laughs) That's what I'm going to call it. She had a superpower of obtaining information. So say Hunter was taking her to an art exhibit of some sort. She could retain information and learn about this exhibit like super fast and she could retain all of the information. So when she was there, she was super knowledgeable and she could impress these sophisticated guests there. And it's a superpower. And it gave them common ground. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she they fell for her. They instantly fell for her. And it made her look really good. So Hunter and Anna are honestly living the life. They're going to these fancy events and restaurants. They're bumping elbows with some pretty famous people, networking, drinking free champagne. They're photographed together in Australia, Ibiza, Austria. They're flying first class here, private clubs there. So, so far, I think I'm kind of team Anna. Okay. If anything, I'm just really envious of her. I mean... She's not paying for a thing. (laughs) She's just memorizing things, putting them in her head. She's got her superpower and she's like interesting to others because she's this mysterious German heiress. She speaks in this accent. She dresses in designer clothing. Anyway, you get the picture. In 2015, Anna is like truly engulfed in this German heiress lifestyle and she comes up with this grand idea. She wants to open a private members club in New York City, a creative space for creative people. She wanted the club dedicated to contemporary art. I mean, the space would include everything for the elite of New York. Art galleries, a high-end restaurant. She wanted a nightclub in the basement, cocktail lounges, some elegant boutique hotel rooms. And of course, she had to have a German bakery. She would name it the Anna Delvey Foundation. (laughs) I mean, I'm sold. I want to join this. It's probably like millions of dollars to join it, but it sounds awesome. She found the perfect location, the Church Missions House, a historic building with six floors on South Park Avenue, had a terrace overlooking Central Park. Hmm. The owner of the building, 
Abby Rosen, was a German-American real estate tycoon. He owned other clubs and like similar spaces. So this added even more value to her idea. Because of the people she met through networking with Hunter, she had a lot of meetings with a lot of top-of-the-line people, designers, architects, wealthy art dealers. She even had a walkthrough of the building with the founder of Nobu, sharing a vision with him on the exclusive restaurant she wanted on the property. She had some interest from private investors, but she needed a pretty hefty loan for the Anna Delvey Foundation to open its doors. Oh, uh, yeah. A little over $22 million <gasps> to be exact. Holy smokes. But I mean, that's nothing to a 24-year-old German heiress set to receive over $67 million on her 26th birthday, right? True. And that would only be in, what, two years, so... Exactly. But what if Anna Delvey wasn't really a German heiress? What if she really was just 24-year-old Anna Sorokin, Mm. a Russian native who moved to Germany when she was 16? Oh. Her father was originally a truck driver in a small town south of Moscow. The family moved to North Rhine, Westphalia, Germany. I don't know if I pronounced that. It, it, it's very American how I pronounced that. Where her father opened an HVAC business. Okay. He was a blue collar working family. Right. Yeah. Not an heiress. No. She was shy in school and actually struggled with German. She uh-huh. always loved fashion and had an eye for the expensive things. Mm-hmm. A champagne eye on a beer budget. Isn't that the saying? Yes. Champagne taste (laughs) on a beer budget. (laughs) I think you nailed it. She did get an internship with Purple, the French fashion magazine in Paris. She kind of slowly started cutting ties with her family when she took this gig. I mean, they paid for her rent and everything in Paris, like kind of gave her an allowance, but she really didn't talk to them much. And this is around the time that Anna Delvey was invented. She claimed the name Delvey was her mother's maiden name. Mm-hmm. Since her father was so wealthy, she wanted to form an independence <laughs> from him. Okay. But in reality, her family has no idea where that name came from. Interesting. She came to New York in 2013, like I said, for the New York Fashion Week, fell in love with the city transferred to the Purple office in New York by request and with her superpowers and the story of being an heiress, she started living the high life. All those trips, all those meals, all those parties was never on her dime. That's pretty actually very amazing. (laughs) I think that's another superpower. I think she has two superpowers. Oh my gosh, that's pretty darn amazing. So now, Here she is in 2015-2016 attempting the Anna Delvey Foundation. (laughs) A spectacular vision, a $22 million vision, and up till now, like I said, I don't think she's necessarily done anything wrong. Fibbed a little. Yeah. She's a bullshitter. Like, but she's not stealing. She's not frauding anybody. Like, okay, so she's not doing that tinder swindler thing at all (laughs) she's just kind of i want did hunter know who she was no obviously hunter didn't know who she was either but no okay no no no, no. so because she was not receiving enough from private investors 
she had actually started the process with City National Bank and Fortress Investment Group in requesting the $22 million loan. So her requests to both institutes is in, and this is like mid-2016, and she actually, so she has to go back to Germany to her parents' house to reset her visa. Okay, that makes sense, yes. Obviously, I don't know the logistics, but I imagine, this is how I kind of envision it, she's sitting in her old childhood bedroom on her bed, her laptop on her lap. She literally forged bank applications. Oh, I mean, she literally forged the applications on Microsoft Word. How? She did it. I mean, she had to prove or show some kind of proof of the $67 million she had in her trust fund right. that she was supposed yes. to get, yes. right? So in 2016, City National Bank was seriously considering her application. Wow. But she ended up being turned down. So she turned to Fortress Investment Group. And they were interested in her application. All she needed was a $100,000 deposit to get the ball rolling. Now, to, again, to a wealthy German heiress, socialite, that's easy no peasy. No big deal, but in real life. But remember, that's not who this is. All that's standing in her way for the spectacular Anna Delvey Foundation is $100,000. So over this time... She's formed some kind of a business relationship with City National Bank, some kind of a relationship, because even though they turned her down for that giant loan, they agreed to extend a $100,000 line of credit in the form of an overdraft with an understanding that she would pay them back within a month. Oh, because remember, they all still believe in this Anna Delvey heiress story. Wow. I mean, this is a massive financial institution. Wow. I just can't believe the this, this stuff this chick got away with. So now this vision is all within reach. She could just use this line of credit, put the $100,000 down with Fortress for them to get the application going. As soon as the $22 million loan goes through, she can turn around, pay back the $100,000 to City, and the Anna Delvey Foundation will begin. Oh my gosh. She secured services of the top lawyers to negotiate the lease of the church mission house building. She has the top architects all lined up, all paid with by credit, of course. <laughs> she wired the $100,000 to Fortress and it was all agreed on. All that remained was a meeting with her reps in Switzerland. <gasps> but as you and I and Miss Anna knew... There were no banks in Switzerland. Of course not. There was no trust fund. There was nothing. She had no alternative but to back out on the loan process. Oh, no. She had been all Anna Delvey Foundation all the time. I mean, for the last few months, a year, that's all she had talked about with everyone. She claimed her father was now backing her on the project and that she didn't need the loans anymore. Oh. That's kind of what she was telling everybody. Okay. Now, keep in mind, she's still in Germany at this time. Okay. Yeah. Working on her visa. Fortress returns $50,000 of the 100000 she paid to them. And instead of paying this back to Citi, she actually had this money wired to another bank. And then she headed back to New York City. Oh, my gosh. When she got back, she made 
the new boutique hotel in Soho, the 11 Howard, her new home. Owned by Abby Rosen, the same man who owned the church mission house where she wanted to create the Anna Delvey Foundation. I obviously don't know the truth, but I think she had an intention of paying City National Bank back. Maybe she didn't. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Okay. But she took that $50,000 and went back to that high life living. Over the next three months, she stayed at the 11 Howard. She was known to give $100 tips to the staff, which you see in the show. And you're just kind of like, roll your eyes like, oh, my gosh, this is so Hollywooded up. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. You carry her back to her room. You got a hundred dollar bill. Everyone's pushing each other out of the way. Yeah. You made a phone call for her. She gave you a hundred dollar bill. Oh, my God. You called her a taxi. Here's a hundred dollar bill. She just hand them out to staff. She became very popular with the staff of the hotel. Mm. One staff member, Neff Davis, a concierge at the hotel, really became impressed with Anna and the two became close friends. Another friend Anna made around this time was Rachel Williams, who was a photo editor at Vanity Fair magazine. They had met before a few years prior at some event or party, but they really started to get close in 2017. And Anna is still talking about the Anna Delvey Foundation. (laughs) What will be there? Who will be there? Who's doing this and that? Where it will be? All her talk about it never ends, and Rachel and Neff are fully invested in what she is sharing with them. Of course. Rachel would join Anna at the 11 Howard, and the two would share some boozy lunches together in the hotel's restaurant, charging it all to Anna's room. Anna was still just living the life. She hired a celebrity personal trainer, Casey Duke. She and Rachel would go to Casey several times a week. It's $300 a session. Oh, jeez. That $50,000 is not going to last too much longer here. (laughs) I mean, Anna picked up the tab all the time. There is some conflict between the character of Rachel. The character, the person. I mean, she's a character in the show, but she is a person in real life. A lot of people claim that she kind of leached onto Anna. Mm. She was going to this trainer, eating out at these great restaurants, meeting all these famous people, drinking the best champagne, going to the spa all the time, blah, blah, blah. All on Anna's, Anna's dime. Ticket, right. But Rachel will claim that she was a people pleaser. She's quiet. And she really enjoyed the spunk and the drive of Anna. Anna was a girl who knew what she wanted, and she went out and got it. And a lot of my sources actually claimed Anna was a bit rude. It's kind of portrayed in the show. She says in her weird, like, German-Russian kind of accent. Accent. It's a crazy accent. But that is really how Anna really did speak. Julia did a great job with that. She's just like, why are you wearing that? You look poor. Yeah, that's that's what they had in the preview. <laughs> but that's how Anna was. I think I nailed that accent. <laughs> She's sitting there and she goes, uh, you've got your prison overalls on. You're in and, prison garb. <laughs> and she goes, I still can accessorize or whatever she says. I still accessorize. <laughs> it's like, wow. She even had an attitude in jail. That's crazy. And that's. That's Anna. And I guess, 
you know, that's Rachel really clung to that. She really liked, you know, that she was that was kind of completing her in a way because she was very shy and a people pleaser and she was learning a lot from Anna. So that's what she claims. Okay. I mean, Anna was a little con artist. <laughs> you think? <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> uh, but like, I just don't get it. But she checked into the 11 Howard without having to put a credit card on file. <laughs> I just don't. And within three weeks of her stay and eating at the on-site restaurant, she racked up a $30,000 bill. Oh, geez. Well, she's paying for everybody. Management of the hotel, of course, is growing concerned. I mean, even though they believe she is this entitled German heiress businesswoman, they still need her to pay her bill. <laughs> yeah. They confront her and tell her she needs to settle within 24 hours. She sends the staff a case of vintage 1975 Dom Perignon. Oh, a case. Holy smokes. The staff were told to refuse the gift. Days later, she does pay her bill. But like, how? I just don't get it. How? How? I think maybe she wrote herself another check somehow or I don't, I, I don't know. Why did she? I know at one point and I don't think you can do this anymore. I think the banking system has matured some since 2017. But she wrote herself a check for $160,000 and deposited it at Citibank and then went and withdrew like $70,000 before the checks bounced. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she's a total socialite. She's using her superpowers. But her lies and bullshitting, excuse my language, but add up. They kind of started getting more con-like. At one point, she claimed she was invited to attend Warren Buffett's shareholding meeting that's hosted once a year in Omaha, Nebraska. I guess this is like a really big deal for the rich and famous. It's like this big networking event. Anna literally convinced a private aviation company, Blade, to charter her a private $35,000 jet to Omaha. Oh, my gosh. She's got a lot of superpowers. I'm sorry. She had mentioned the owner CEO's name. I guess she had met him like a year ago or so at some function or another. And either she lied about a wire or somehow because of the name drop, they allowed the flight without a payment on file. Holy smokes. Whoever processed her flight mentioned to the owner of the company, like, hey, this chick said she knew you. And the owner was like, oh, yeah, I know her. <laughs> I mean, because that's that's her superpower. Like, she probably met him once, put in her little checklist in her head, like, oh, I can get a free jet from that guy. Let me impress him. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, she had to have made such a charming impression that he remembered her. Exactly. It, it's a superpower. I'm serious. <laughs> So she takes this free trip to Omaha, but not to the shareholders meeting. She literally went to the zoo and got drunk by herself. I was going to say, did she go to the Omaha Zoo? And that's exactly what she did. I mean, that zoo is spectacular. (laughs) And probably I would probably have way more fun at the zoo than a shareholders Uh, meeting. Definitely. That's just me. When she returns back to New York and heads to her home away from home, the 11 Howard, She's been locked out of her room. Uh Uh-oh. 
And this is shown in the Netflix show. So remember the owner of the hotel she is staying at is the same owner of that church mission house. Yes. She wanted her foundation to be at. Abby Rosen. Well, I guess while she was gone in Omaha, Abby Rosen's sons were staying at the hotel. And Anna's friend Neff, the concierge, Mm -hmm. mentioned to them like, hey, you may know another guest that's here. My friend Anna Delvey, she's in the process of putting an offer in on one of your dad's buildings. And they're like, I don't know that name. Plus, if she were one of my dad's clients, don't you think she'd be staying here in a suite? Like, don't you think he'd be putting her up in a nice place? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So Anna's locked out of her room. All of her possessions are locked away. That doesn't hold Anna back. She just goes and checks into another boutique hotel. (laughs) Somehow, again, avoiding putting a card on file. What? And people like Tom, who's listening to this and who travels a lot. Can you believe this? (laughs) (laughs) Like, those people that are listening to this that travel a lot. Like, can you imagine checking and not having a card on file? Like, No. No, it's simply not allowed. (laughs) And these are like bougie hotels. This isn't the Holiday Inn or some motel on the side of the road. Maybe if you're like a super rich person or known to be. She's got to be known, right? This German heiress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest scenes or moments in the Netflix series is when the friends take a trip to Marrakesh. And those that watched the show, y'all, that whole part was literally taken from the real New York article. It was all true. Basically all true. Anna takes Rachel and her personal trainer, Casey, with her to Marrakesh, as well as a documentarian. Long story short, Anna is still storytelling about her foundation, and she wants it all documented, like, when she gets approval and how she gets it going. She wants all of this to, like, become something so this guy from vanity fair is coming along on the trip i don't know if he's necessarily using this trip for the document document how do you say that word documentary 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 Documentary. jeez louise documentary i don't know if he's necessarily using it for the documentary my resources said it was more to like help her practice and get comfortable in front of a camera kind of a thing But anyway, she, this cameraman, Jesse Hawk, Rachel and Casey go to Marrakesh all on Anna's dime. Well, actually, from the beginning, her card isn't working. (laughs) She asks Rachel to book it all on her card. Oh, no. I will pay you back. Then she proceeds to book a private villa at this exclusive hotel that cost $7,000 a night. Oh, no. They drink and party all there on the resort, charging it all to their room. But like, oh, my God, my card isn't working. So Rachel's cards are put on file. Oh, Casey leaves only having like been there a day or two because she she starts to react to the food there and gets really bad, like food poisoning. Oh, it's not necessarily food poisoning, but she was just really sick. And so she heads home after being there for like a day or two. But on the trip. There comes a point where security is actually called because they need to have a working card on file for a hold. Rachel uses her work credit card for this hold. Oh, my gosh. Rachel leaves the trip. In the show, she leaves early and kind of like sneaks out. And it's this huge dramatic thing. But it was always planned that she was going to leave a little earlier. But she leaves racking up charges of (gasps) $62,000. 
Oh, my gosh. Anna keeps promising a wire transferring funds. It'll come. It'll come. It'll come. And this is her friend she's doing this to now. Yeah. Anna's left alone. She goes to Morocco on her own for a bit. But when her cards obviously aren't working there and she's basically trapped, she calls Casey and begs for a flight home. In the show, she claims she's mugged. But in actuality, Casey just seems like somebody with a really big heart. Mm -hmm. And she had this major like this motherly kind of relationship to Anna and really wanted to take care of her all the time. And so Anna's on the phone with her crying, saying she wants to come home, but her cards aren't working. And Casey's like, okay, I'm going to book you a flight home. And Anna's like, a make sure it's first class. (gasps) Oh, oh, for reals. For reals. Rachel is hounding Anna at this point. Like, um, Uh, yeah, I need to pay these cards, especially her work one. Anna at first is like, oh, my God, yes, I'll transfer $70,000 over to you in a second. And Rachel's probably like, oh, my God, like, I'm actually going to make money on this trip. Okay, (laughs) but nothing comes. Rachel is left with like $1,000 to her name. And she's quite brokenhearted by her friend. Well, yeah, but she still has this faith that her friend is going to pay her back. Like, she still has faith that it'll come until... July, a few months later, the New York Post publishes an article about Anna. Apparently, she had been eating out in a nice restaurant and just walked out. The staff literally followed her out into the street, drug her back into the establishment, demanding she pay the bill. All of her cards declining. The New York Post article was about all the unpaid bills Anna had racked up at hotels, restaurants, Rachel soon realized she would not be seeing a dime of her money. Oh. Anna was arrested after the whole restaurant thing and was released on bail pending a court appearance in September. Instead of sticking around for that court appearance, Anna wrote herself a few more checks and headed out to L.A. And she's still doing it. Oh. To a rehab facility, actually. Passages, which... Oh, by the way, is like rehab for the stars and is $60,000 a month. Oh, jeez. How she was going to pay for that, I don't know. She didn't care. She missed her court date. With the help of Rachel, actually, Anna was arrested outside of passages and taken back to New York for a charge of grand larceny and theft of services in October 2017. A lot of the names in the show were original. Her lawyer was one of them. Spotic represented Anna in 2019 at her trial. I mean, the show really didn't Hollywood too much of the story up. They didn't need to. They the didn't have crazy to. Enough. Right. There were some clothing wardrobe delays in the trial. The show claimed it was because she was refusing to wear whatever the course provided. But in reality, she really did have a stylist oh, dress her for gosh. the trial. And sometimes the clothes would be delayed in getting to the prison. So they'd have to go out and get clothing for her. Like this is this is real. (laughs) Rachel's scene at the trial when she's testifying is literally taken from court documents word for word from the real life cross-examination of Rachel Mm -hmm. by Todd Spodick, Anna's lawyer. Rachel recalled the trauma of their trip. Quote, this is not about entertainment. It is about law and order 
and a crime. This is about a trauma. This is about something I went through, unquote. Just like in the show, Spodick basically called Rachel out for being an opportunist. Mm. She had benefited so much from Anna. She was a leech of sorts, according to him. Well, he's she benefited make her look like from that, it right. all. But actually, she kind of did. The credit card companies oh. took away all the charges. She wrote her own story, which that's why she was at Vanity Fair to begin with, was to work her way to being a writer. And then she wrote and sold her story to Vanity Fair oh, for okay. $1,300. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. HBO paid her about $35,000 for the rights to her story. And then she secured a $300,000 book deal. At her trial, Anna was offered a plea deal if she returned to Germany to carry out her sentence. But Anna refused. She's not guilty. <laughs> she was not guilty. The jury did find her guilty, though. She was sent to jail for four to 12 years and had an obligatory restitution of $200,000. Anna was released only about four years later on February 11th, 2021. She returned to the streets of New York City, out and about with her friend, Neff. Jeez. But then there was a social media silence. Why? Well, because she was arrested again about a month after she was released from prison for overstaying her visa. Oh. So she is now back in prison. Mm. Her story is crazy. First, just a chick bedazzling those of New York with the superpower of charm, living a pretty dang good life. Then, you know, I totally understand that she wanted to make a name for herself. She didn't just want to be a socialite. She wanted to be a businesswoman. And I totally 100% respect that. But unfortunately, she went about that in just the totally wrong <laughs> way. The end. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. People are so easily bedazzled and taken. That's crazy. It was just her charm and her personality and... And the fact that she's from a foreign country and mm -hmm. she has an accent. And she had an interesting story. And yep. I mean, look at everything my mother got. <laughs> my mother got away with. <laughs> she, everybody thought she was super wealthy, too. Oh, my goodness. Another superpower. Another superpower woman. Oh. Yeah. So watch the show if you haven't. Go read the article if you don't want to watch the show. You don't have time. I understand. Go read the article at least. The show is based on the article. Go read it. It's fascinating. And ugh, I, I, I literally I watched the show and then I was like, OK, well, what parts are like Hollywooded up? And I when I started doing research, I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> wow. Just wow. I know. And how fun. Nobody died. Nobody died. And I don't think anybody died in my story either, so no death. Well, aren't you talking about ghosts, though? Well, everybody has to die at some time. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. Oh, boy. Okay. All so right. what is that phrase? Moving on. What's that phrase that you use? Most of this is real, but some of it is not. What'd you say? This story is completely true, except for the parts that aren't. Okay. I'm going to go with that motto also. Okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm going to see if you can figure this out with just a few hints, okay? Okay. 
1818, a book was published. The writer was a woman. Still nothing. The story (laughs) told of a scientist who created an eight-foot being and brought it to life. Frankenstein? (laughs) Yes. Ding, 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 ding. What do I win, Mom? What do I win? A drink of water. Okay. The gothic novel (laughs) Frankenstein... Frankenstein was written by Mary Shelley. Since the book was published, the story has itself become quite popular. Other books have been written and many movies made centering on that story. The first movie, Frankenstein, came out in 1931, followed by The Bride of Frankenstein and The Son of Frankenstein, all starring Boris Karloff and... For our older listeners, they'll know who that is. <laughs> he wasn't a lot of Frankenstein-type movies. Horror movies, I guess you'd call it. Although he was also in Arsenic and Old Lace. But anyway, okay. There are, there are about, <laughs> listen to this, 112 Frankenstein movies. Oh my gosh. Ranging from comedies to horror to animation. My favorite is the 1974 version. Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Directed by Mel Brooks. You know, that one with Gene Wilder in it? And Madeline Kahn. I was just going to say, isn't Willy Wonka in that? (laughs) (laughs) No, but Gene Wilder is. That's how I I know my actors. (laughs) That that movie is hilarious. But anyway, even Scooby-Doo and the gang meet Frankenstein. Yes, they do. (laughs) We are big Scooby fans over here. Yep. Love to sit with those boys. That's our thing and watch Scooby-Doo. Oh, boy. (laughs) Scooby Dooby Doo. Oh my gosh, they're obsessed. So, what is the story behind this well known name? There is, in fact, a castle, the Frankenstein Castle. The first record of the castle is from 1252. So, the castle was most probably built way before then. The castle sits on top of a hill overlooking the town of Darmstadt, which is close to the Rhine River and just south of Frankfurt. The castle stayed in the Frankenstein family for around 400 years. Can you imagine? I I know this sounds really ignorant, but here in America, we don't have such old history. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine saying that this house has been in my family for 400 years? This house has been in my family for 400 years. Yeah, you say it with an accent, you charm me right into believing you. But we don't get to say that stuff, you know? That's so cool. Anyway, History. go on. Frankenstein is, of course, a German name made by two words. Franks, who are a Germanic tribe, and Stein, meaning stone. So the full translation is stone of the Franks. Not not the Franks are stoned, but stone of the Franks. <laughs> Spooky. Not real scary. (laughs) But one of the inhabitants of the castle was particularly interesting. Johann Conrad Dippel von Frankenstein. He's interesting because of his long name. (laughs) They all had long names. His name was Johann Conrad Dippel. And then if you belong to an aristocratic family or you wanted to make it sound, then you go von, so V-O-N, and then whatever the family. So Frankenstein. Okay. Anyway, from the tribe of Frankenstein, basically, I guess you could say. 
He was born in the castle in 1673. He went on to become a known intellectual who studied theology, philosophy, and alchemy. What's that? Am I saying that right? Alchemy. I don't even know what it is. Alchemy. It's the study of metals and of science and of uh, medicines. So that's a broad study. (laughs) His most serious attention was put on alchemy and medicine. So what they tried to alchemists, what they, one thing that they try to do is turn lead into gold. They work with minerals and, and that kind of stuff to convert them to other minerals. I, I'm sorry if that doesn't explain it more. You can look it up. No, 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 no. That makes sense. Yeah, I got it. That's good. Okay, so he tried, as most alchemists did in those days, he tried to turn lead into gold. That didn't work, obviously. (laughs) Frustrated, he turned his attention to producing an elixir that would cure anything. It may even be the secret tonic to immortality. I mean, that's like the most common jump. You can't turn lead into gold. So now I'm just going to, you know, cure everybody from everything. Uh Uh-huh. And make everyone live. (laughs) Duh. Perfect. Now, here's where the truth and legends become kind of jumbled together. Fact. Dipple did create an elixir. It's called Dipple's Oil. It was a horrid (laughs) smelling black in color concoction made from the crushed and distilled bones and body parts of animals. Ew. Supposedly it was just And that would make you that would make you live forever <laughs> and cure anything. Just crush any bones? anything, you know, from epilepsy to cancer to anything. Oh, it would cure anything. It would cure anything. No, that, that still doesn't make but sense. But it would also <laughs> if you took it, it would also help you to live forever. And there's proof in this? He said Dipple, that he was going to he called. was going to take this and it, he was going to live to 135. That's what he told everyone. He was going to live for Dipple. Live for 100 until 135. The elixir did of course not cure any illness, duh, nor was it the answer to immortality. It was however used in the desert campaign of World War II to coat the inside of wells, making the water undrinkable and causing the enemy to die of dehydration. So hold on. He's claiming that this will make people live forever and And cure all their ailments. But in reality, it dehydrates you and kills you. Well, supposedly also, he took this and it caused his death. Well, he did not live till 135, I'm sure. No, he did not. Not even close. 134 maybe, but... Nope, not even (laughs) close. Fact, another fact, Dippel and a pigment maker named Johann Jakob Diesbach did produce a dye originally named Berlin Blue. It became very popular, so much so that it was used in making Prussian army uniforms. Thus now the color of the dye is Prussian Blue. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. (laughs) They made a color together? Yeah, blue was not a color that was around very much and it was very very expensive so it was oh. a very un- i mean pretty much a not available color unavailable <laughs> color there you go an unavailable color wow that's really the story that they told was hilarious so they supposedly were working in the same science lab this pigment maker and dipple they got the- their experiment both of their names are johan they got their experiments mixed up 
and they ended up together and that's how this concoction came out i don't know but that's the oh that's fun yeah that was a fun story the dye is used in blueprints in photography ink and cloth dye even to today it was used as a remedy for metal poisoning and is used now by pathologists to detect lead poisoning. Now, a mix of legend and maybe some truth. Did Dipple dive into something darker than making a blue dye? Did he dig up corpses in the middle of the night to experiment on? Let it be known, now this is, some, this is a fact, okay, that he thought. He dug only the, cor- if he did dig them up, they were corpses only of the recently deceased. Because, just like Miracle Max, he believed that these were mostly dead. Not all the way dead. They were mostly dead. You love to bring in Miracle Max. I do. Max that's the second time I've been. Every episode I've been, we can. No, that's the second time, but I'm, I love bringing him in. So he believed that their souls had not completely left their bodies yet if they were recently dead. But this, him digging up corpses and everything, this has never been documented. Like he did, he wrote down all his experiments and he never wrote anything about this. Yes, he was focused on the human soul and what happens to it after death. And he did document his experiments of, quote, soul transfers, where he tried to swap the soul of one dead animal into a living one. But if he tried this on human corpses, that's really unknown. I'm I'm interested in this whole soul transfer thing. That's interesting. He used a like, funnel. How did you even like, ch- how did you even check in with the other animal and be like, hey, you have the same soul? <laughs> Is that possum in you? Do you believe you are a bird? Hey, cat, why are you barking like a dog? Like, how, how did he check in with them? Like, that's... I, I don't know how... I mean, really, Beth, think about what you're saying, because you can't transfer souls to begin with, okay? <laughs> it's like, it's a moot I point. I was intrigued. <laughs> okay, this is not a fact. Mary Shelley did not base her story at Frankenstein Castle. Her story does not even take place at a castle. It is thought that she may have heard tidbits of the legends on her trip through Germany, and this could have made an impact on her book, Frankenstein, which was published four years after her trip. And to add to that, this was interesting, her stepmother actually worked with the Grimm brothers in translating their stories into English. That's interesting. So she kind of grew up with these weird horror stories you know i mean you'd think that frankenstein would have been written by a man at that time but she wasn't yeah so did she just come up with the name frankenstein then like did no she, think she, she made I, it up supposedly or? no no supposedly she was on the rhine river and maybe she saw a glimpse of the castle there's no even nothing to say that she even visited the castle so she probably heard mm-hmm. tid- tidbits of frankenstein and these legends now, remember, Frankenstein is the scientist. We have, through movies, made him the monster. Yes. You know? Okay. So that was different. I mean, it's a cool name. Like, I mean, even if she just liked the name and was like, I'm going to use that. So going to use that. Now, what is most likely legend is that Dippel transferred hearts, eyes, and other organs between dead bodies so not just souls and supposedly maybe it it was 
started by other scientists who were jealous of his dye that he had come up with. Oh. So they started these terrible stories about him. Just saying. Well, that stinks for him. So are the ruins of Frankenstein Castle haunted? Well, it holds hundreds of years of history within its fallen walls. I mean, the family lived there for 400 years. Like, there's got to be some kind of well, and then more trauma. Or... More after that, you know. And and the castle, yeah. a lot of it sits in ruins. There are two towers. Those were built later, so those aren't from the original structure. And then there's a chapel, and I believe the chapel is from the original structure. So cool. I watched Ghost Hunters International, season one, episode one, where the team visited and investigated Frankenstein Castle. The castle is said to be haunted by a Conrad Dippel Frankenstein, as well as spirits of the bodies he dug up. Walter Schiele, a Frankenstein expert, <laughs> claimed to the team that there are strange things that happen at the castle, and he wants to get to the truth. Is the castle haunted? Supposedly, Dipple's ghost has been seen on the roof of the intact castle chapel. And this is, in fact, where the team picked up most of the activity was in the chapel. But I thought it was interesting that he was seen on the roof of the chapel. Remember that one story that I told of them? The father, the mother, and the, the father said that the, there were demons walking on the roof of the house. Ooh, yeah, I do remember that. That just made me remember that story but he but yeah and then they their bodies were found and nobody yeah. knows yeah yeah i remember that Ooh, that's creepy so okay then there's the ghost of anna maria she is like all the ladies in white crying for her lost love but with one difference anna maria is said to fly into a room in one of the castle towers she lies on the floor on the bit. There's nothing in this room. So she lies on the floor and she cries for her lost oh, love. No. But in Walter's words, yeah, she's naked, young and spicy. <laughs> oh, boy. So, sounds like Walter spent a little too much time alone in that <laughs> castle. Anna Maria is not wearing a white dress. She is wearing nothing. Of course, this had the guys on the team excited to investigate that room, hoping that she showed up for sure. But Anna Maria, she never showed up while they were documenting this. So too bad. She just seems to like Walter, I think. <laughs> what the team did pick up were voices that definitely were not American or English speaking. When Walter heard the rec recordings. Wasn't well, the castle in Germany? Yeah. Yeah, it's in Germany. So why would it be English speaking? That's what I was thinking through the whole investigation. You keep throwing these questions out at them. They're Germans. How do you? They don't understand they're, yeah. you. They're German spirits. Why would they speak English? That doesn't. Why would they understand what you're asking? If you're asking yeah. them in English, that's the whole the whole episode. Well, that's that what, doesn't make any sense. The whole episode. That's what I was thinking. But anyway, they re debunked. <laughs> they replayed. <laughs> they they replayed the the voices to Walter, and as soon as he heard that, he said, "That's old German." Is there a difference between old German oh, yeah. and new German? Oh yeah. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, I can read German, but old German, it's so hard to read. So hard to read. Wow. And it it's also. Well, I guess there's old English and new English, like. 
you know, you don't call it new English, but old English, like Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, different. The team also saw shadow figures not caught on tape. One creepy scene was when two members of the team were in the chapel and they were kind of talking. And then all of a sudden they heard the door handle to the front door jiggle. Now, when we were stationed in Germany, we always said we're, when we go back to the land of the round doorknobs because our doorknobs are round. Right. In Germany, they're handles. Oh, okay. So <laughs> that's cute. Think of this as a big old chapel door with this brass handle. You could hear it. I mean, they, they recorded the sound and you can hear it distinctly that it, that is the sound of that handle. Oh, that's creepy. It, it was. And again, they played this for Walter, and he said, shapes and sounds are often reported in the chapel, the same chapel of which Dipple reportedly is seen dancing on the roof. <laughs> so there is some evidence of paranormal activity, but the ruins of the castle are spooky just on their own. So much so that in 1978, U.S. troops stationed at the nearby base Rhine Mine moved their annual Halloween party from their barracks to Frankenstein Castle. That's awesome. Now, Halloween is not a German tradition at all, but this annual celebration continues and has become one of Europe's largest Halloween parties. <laughs> I love it. And it goes on for like three or four days, you know, and there's during the day, it's a time for the children, but then at night it gets really creepy. So, yep. The same castle where Conrad Dippel von Frankenstein supposedly experimented on bodies that he dug up from surrounding cemeteries is now visited every year at Halloween by witches, monsters, and maybe even one or two walking dead. <laughs> oh, wow. That's fun. Have you been to the castle? Uh-uh. No, I have not. Or seen it? No. I have not. And yeah. if I've seen it, I wouldn't know it. There's so many castles and ruins along the Rhine. And <sighs> yeah. I want to go so badly. That'd be so cool. It's, I, I, this is terrible to say, but once you've seen one or two castles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Miss Bougie glowing glow glue vine over there. <laughs> once you've seen a castle, you've seen them all. We had, when we lived there, we had a Cocker Spaniel, Galahad, and Galley. Galley rode in more forms of transportation than most people have. Because <laughs> we took him everywhere, because in Germany you can do that. So Galley went everywhere with me. I mean, car, train, boat, <laughs> airplane, and even a carriage. Oh, cute like, little Galley. Like a little Cinderella carriage that we took up to that well-known castle, Cinderella's castle, uh, Neuschwanstein. Neuschwanstein. <laughs> say that. Wow. I mean, I was about to say what in Disney World? <laughs> no. I've been to that castle. <laughs> I had dinner in that castle. I met many princesses in that <laughs> castle. Oh, fun stuff. I'll actually never forget that because Alex and I were just talking about that because uh, Aiden made quite the impression with the princesses. I'll never forget when Snow White was there and he was whispering something in her ear and she just started laughing. Like she was laughing so hard. And then she left. I go, what did you tell her? And he goes, I told her I'm a big boy now. And I went poop in the potty. 
so a couple minutes later, Sleeping Beauty came to the table and she goes, this must be Aiden. I've heard so much (laughs) about you. And she reached her hand out to grab his to shake his hand. And he kissed her hand. And it was so darling. He was probably like three. And she goes, oh, Snow White was right. You are Prince Charming. (laughs) But every princess that came to the table was like, oh, it's Aiden's table. I've been so excited to meet you. (laughs) He told all the princesses about how he was a big boy and used the potty. (laughs) Oh, my Aiden. So that's my experience in a castle. (laughs) (laughs) But from what you say, I don't need to go to any other castle because I've experienced it. Everybody should experience several castles in their life. I would love to. Yeah. yeah. I would love to. (sighs) Well, I think this was a pretty good uh, light episode. Yes. Uh, Let me tell you that Gluevine's great in the winter, but. It's not so good when the house is getting warm, okay? <laughs> I, am, I am so hot right now. I mean, it's seriously, and I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a good way either. It seriously warms you from the inside out. <laughs> she's, she's not just glowing anymore, guys. She's on fire. <laughs> I am hot. Oh my gosh! Oh no. all right not a summer drink just saying all right well before mom bursts into flames (laughs) internal combustion that's what's happening here (laughs) poof and she's gone thank you so much for listening thank you to our patrons for providing the glowing for mom you can find sources and photos on our website killerhangoverpodcast.com you can follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Anything else you want to uh, share with the listeners there, Mom? Not at this time. She's ready to just, I just go need some ice. dive in a cold, <laughs> an ice bucket. <laughs> you poor thing. Well, thank you for listening to us 102 times. Yeah, I <laughs> hope you enjoyed this. This is a fun one. It was. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.